Well, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're going to talk about heaven audits our giving. Heaven audits our giving. It was interesting as I was thinking about it that there is a uh, scene in Flywheel about tithing and about the guy putting in uh, a blank envelope, didn't have anything in it. Um, I think it it was surprised to me when I look at how much the Bible says about our stewardship and about what we are called to do as stewards of the gospel and as stewards of our resources. I mean, we all think about money. All of us think about money. I mean, we, we have to have it to eat. We have to have it to put gas in our cars, to put a roof over our head. We, we have to have it to, to go through the drive through And now there's a change shortage. Which one of you has got all that change? Who, who is it that's keeping all the change in America? I don't know how we have a change shortage, but we have a change shortage. And so uh, everybody's thinking about money, talking about money. Uh, let me give you some statistics that kind of wowed me when I looked at them. In 2016, 2016, Americans spent an estimated billion on casinos, lotteries, and online gaming sites. That's how much the casino and gaming sites made. $116 billion. That's how much they made off of people who think that they're going to get rich quick. Money is a bad lover. Men love money, and it destroys them. Uh, we don't have any pets left, so this is not an not a, not a anti-pet comment, but uh, we don't have any more, and people keep trying to give them to us, but, uh, but we, we don't have any more, we don't want any more. In 2018, Americans spent $29 billion just on dog food. Just dog food. Now that doesn't count the collars and the baths and the, you know, all the other things that people do with their dogs. You know, I'm still trying to wonder why is it against the law to hold a cell phone while you're driving, but you can drive with a yappy puppy sitting in your arm, which is going to get in your way if you've got to swerve and avoid somebody. But that's next week's sermon. Uh, According to the charitable giving site, eight of 10 people who give to churches have zero credit debt. 60% are willing to give to churches digitally. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of the normal congregation. In America, in Protestant churches across all denominations, 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income to the church. Now, this is the one that startled me. Right now, Christians are giving at 2.5% of their income. During the height of the Great Depression, Christians were giving 32% of their income. Maybe we don't need an economic recovery. Apparently, in a depression, people know where their source is. 32% during a depression, but 2% now. 
Only 3 to 5% of Americans who give to their local church do so through regular tithing. Three out of four who don't go to church do make contributions and donations to nonprofit organizations. The average giving by adults in the United States in Protestant churches is $17 a week. That's about what you spend in one time through a drive-thru. $17 a week. That's the average gift of a member of a Protestant church. 37% of regular church attendees and evangelicals don't give any money to the church. 17% of American families have reduced the amount that they give to their local church. 7% of churchgoers have dropped their regular giving by 20% or more. So in light of that, we have to ask a question. How are we gonna reach the world for Christ? How are we going to do what God calls us to do? How are we going to provide ministry to the next generation? If we are not seeing that as investment in the gospel. Well, I'm glad you asked that question because in Mark chapter 12, there's a story of an incredible lady that is included in scripture for us to see 2,000 years later. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, This poor widow put in more than all the contributions to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all that she had to live on. Now, between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, there was the gate beautiful. And it is in this area where the treasury was located. Jesus is sitting there. We don't know exactly where he is, but he's in this general area in the court of the Gentiles, court of the women. And it was inside the walls of the court of the women where the collection boxes were placed. There were 13 boxes total where you could come in, excuse me, I just about had vertigo. Uh, You could come in at any point and you could drop your gift in. Now, nine of those boxes were specifically for temple taxes and tithes. They were called Jehovah's offerings. So if you had tithes and temple taxes, you went to one of those nine boxes. The, the other four were for free will offerings, and they were called the offering of the poor. These were called shofar boxes because the, the boxes had horns on them like a shofar, and you would throw the coin into that box. Now, the funny thing is, is that the, the coins, depending on what amount of coin you gave or the size of the coin that you gave, it would make a certain sound in the shofar box. And, and there were people 
that uh, historians tell us uh, there were people that they would come and give and they would get out their coins and they were, it was like pitching horseshoes or, or, or like skipping rocks. They would, they would look at ways to make as much noise as they could so that everybody would look around and go, whoa, that's a big giver. In fact, the temple priests were so corrupt that they stood close to these boxes so they could find out who the big givers were. So when it made a lot, the coins made a lot of noise rattling down through the box, they would say, I'm going to go talk to that guy later. I bet he's got some money. So these temple priests are watching over it, and the Greek implies that they threw it in. They're trying to make a scene of their giving. Remember Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. They're trying to make a scene of their giving. But this widow, I mean, she, coins are so small they don't make any noise. Here's a thought. There are sounds of substance and there are sounds of silence and surrender. Sometimes our surrender doesn't make a big noise. Sometimes our surrender doesn't make a big wave. Sometimes our surrender goes unnoticed by most people. But there's an observation here of Jesus. He sat down opposite the treasury. He's in the temple. He's watching it. Now, he, he's been in the temple all day. I mean, things have gotten real compacted. There's not a lot of traveling back and forth. It's been an exhausting day, and all these questions and attacks have been going on with Jesus. And after this incident, so this is, you know, it would be easy to turn off a message about giving, whether you are giving, not giving, or thinking about giving. It would be easy to turn it off. But you need to know that in the mind of a sovereign God who came to earth to save us, the last thing he said publicly was about this widow's gift. Everything else he focused on preparing the disciples for the coming cross, to go to Passover and to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and to be crucified. The, the indication is that Jesus is alone, but he is aware because he calls his disciples to himself. He's alone, but he's aware. I wonder how many times I have come to church and I've not been aware that God is watching my worship. I've been aware of watching other people's worship. You know, looking out, they don't look like they're singing. Their arms are folded. Their arms are up. They're singing. They really like it. They enjoy this song. They don't like this song. Uh, I don't like the message. I like the message. I, I'm going to keep my hands in my lap. I'm going to look down. When You know, those days when you used to pass the offering plate, I'm just going to look down and just say, you know, just let it keep going. I wonder if we are really aware that God watches our worship that he observes what we do and what we think about. Some of us cringe. I mean, let's just be honest. In the average church, people, some people just cringe when it's time for the offering. I mean, Ken Bevel will get up and half the time he'll say, it's my favorite time of the service. And I guarantee you, there's a percentage of people in this room go, not mine. Not mine. Can we get this over with? And I wonder... 
How often have our prayers been blocked because our hearts have been resistant to what God has said to us about giving and about worship? Giving is a heart issue. Now, this is not a political statement. This is just an observation. Some people want the government to pay for everything. Right? I mean, some people just want the government to pay for everything. I just, I don't want to work. I don't want to do anything. I want the government to pay for everything. Can I tell you something? There are a lot of people that are conservatives that want other church members to pay for everything. You're no different than the people you criticize. Now, there's people, they ought to go out and get a job, and they ought to do this, and they ought to do that. You know, you know it's just freeloaders. Huh. I wonder what, if God was aware and he started pointing out freeloaders in the average church. Want other church members to pay for my kids. Want other church members to pay for the food. Want other church members to pay for the Hope Center. Want other church members to pay for the recreation ministry. I want to enjoy all the benefits of citizenship in the family of God, but I don't want to pay my part. I'm afraid that's too common. But Jesus is watching what we give and, and why we give, and he points out this widow. He fixes his attention on her. There are two mites. The Greek word is lepta. These are the smallest coins in the land. They didn't even amount to a penny. Now, for translation's sake, your Bible probably says that they, she gave one cent or one penny. It, it didn't even amount to a penny. In fact, each of the coins, there are two coins, each of the coins was worth one sixty-fourth of a denarius, which is a day's pay for a common laborer at that time. Now think about it. The day before, Jesus has cleansed the temple of the money changers, of the things that didn't belong there. But he did not overturn the treasury. He was just overturning the people that were scalping the people that were stealing from the people, that were charging exorbitant prices uh, for, they couldn't bring an offering with them, uh, an animal, or they would say, oh, that animal is not an appropriate animal. You need to buy one from us. And so they were scalping people. And they were doing it in the court of the Gentiles, which was the only area where a Gentile could come to worship in the temple. And so they had set up this bizarre area in the only area where a Gentile could come and meet God. I think it may surprise us that God is not just concerned about saving us, he's also concerned about the saved being stewards of what he has given us, our life, our time, our talents. Stewardship, let me give you this definition. Stewardship is the commitment of all that I am. Not just 10%, it's the commitment of all that I am. And all that I have, and all that God has placed in my hands, that he might be Lord of all, through all, and in all. It's the commitment of all that I am and all that I have 
and all that God has placed in my hands that he might be Lord of all, through all, and in all. You see, what we do as stewards leaves a legacy. It has been said by someone that money is condensed life. It reveals what we really value. And we cannot ignore the fact that this lady with this small gift didn't even amount to a penny. Didn't even amount to a penny. Is remembered by Jesus, noticed by Jesus, in the inerrant word of God given to us by God for us to study that this account remains that 2,000 years later, we don't know anything about those others that gave out of their surplus, but we know specifically there was a poor widow who gave all she had. Jesus points her out. Jesus points her out. So as I have said several times, we shouldn't apologize for taking an offering because Jesus is watching the offering. Let me mention two things here about what Jesus is observing in the offering. First of all, he, he watches continually. He watches continually. Not just one time, but what, what do we do on an ongoing basis? And he watches with discernment. This, these two words, began observing, th those words are where we get our word theater. And it means to look with interest or perception. It also means to scrutinize. So think about it. The Savior who is about to go to the cross in just hours before he dies an excruciating death, is scrutinizing the offering. Must mean it's important. Must mean it's important. Now, let, let me just ask you this. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, you're going to be killed tomorrow, you're going to die tomorrow, you were, you were in in hospice, and they called you, and they said, he's, he's got less than 24 hours to live. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, and you called all your family in, would you talk about the offering? Jesus did. He talked about it with his family, his disciples. So look at the evaluation. Now, it, it is thought that there are probably at this time, because it was the time of Passover, 15,000 people would fit in this area of the temple. And in 15,000 people, Jesus spots this widow. He sees the rich, verse 41. Many rich people were putting in large amounts, and he does not condemn that. He, he's not condemning their giving. But what he wants us to see is whether we are rich or poor or middle income or whatever we are, God is the source of all that we have. He's our source. It's not because I'm so smart. It's because God is the source. He gave us the ability to make money. Deuteronomy 8.17. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. You see, money is a good steward, but it's a terrible master. 
Money can do more to you than it could ever do for you. It's important to remember that what we spend, what we give, what we keep, what we invest is our legacy. The Lord doesn't look so much at the amount of the gift as at the cost of the giver. C.S. Lewis said, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. The only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Not how little can I give, but how much can I give? Well, I'm going to have to not do something if I give that. Well, but it's for God. So is that our commitment? So he talks to the rich. Then he sees the poor widow. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. Now, the word that, that Luke uses here is not only that she's poor, but it implies she's worn out. This is a widow who is working to make ends meet. She doesn't have any family supporting her. There's no Social Security. There's no Medicare. There's no Medicaid. This is a poor widow who has nothing. She's been working for many years, and the two mites are the minimum that she would have been allowed to even come in to give. And so she had to show that she had two mites because any gift under two mites was not even accepted. Wasn't even accepted. This is what real discipleship looks like. When all is on the altar, she gave all. These coins were so insignificant that they did not have, have the stamp of Caesar on them. In other words, the Romans didn't even consider this money worth talking about. This is throwaway money. This is not money worth talking about. And so she gives these two mites, and Jesus makes notes of, note of her and says, she has given all that she had to give. Now again, this is the last public teaching of Jesus before the cross. This is the last time he's around a bunch of other people from here on out. It's just with his disciples. Now his disciples are here, but there are other people hearing him point out this widow. And he's decided that talking about money is important in the shadow of his own death. And so look at what he does. He calls his disciples to him. By the way, this is the same word for call as the initial call to discipleship. So when he called and said, follow me, when he called and said, come to me, this is the same word. He calls them to say to them, as my disciples, as my followers, this is a lesson in what it means to follow me. This is a lesson in what it means to be a Christ follower. She set the example because she did more, the Bible says, than all the others in the eyes of God. And here we are, 2,000 years later. Ah, I wonder what her mansion looks like in heaven. I wonder, for a poor widow who gives all that she has, 
and Jesus to notice it within hours before his beatings and his death. I wonder what her mansion looks like in heaven. I bet it's going to be bigger than mine. I bet it's going to be bigger than mine. You see, it's going to take eternity to sort out who the really great people were in this world. And a lot of them have a sound of silence and surrender. They just quietly serve the Lord. And they do things in a quiet manner. Remember the context. Jesus has turned over the temple, so there's a money issue that he's dealing with. This is all at the same time. I mean, money is cropping up. I don't know if you've gotten this point yet. Money is cropping up in this last day of Jesus' life. He's turned over the, the tables. He's been questioned about should we pay taxes or not. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, unto God what is God. And now he gives this story about how God evaluates money and resources and gifts. Lloyd Ogilvie said, The widow believed that all she had was a gift from God and belonged to him. The Pharisees and the Herodians haggled over what belonged to God and what belonged to Caesar. Jesus clearly declared that everything was God's. He is the Lord of all life. Life cannot be compartmentalized into the sacred and secular. So here's a couple of thoughts that came to mind. God knows my situation. God knows my situation. God knows my financial condition. God knows my financial condition. He knows my situation. He knows my financial condition. He knows my heart condition. And he knows my contributions. You know, quarterly I get a statement from the church that tells me, you know, this is how much you've given this year. And I always look and try to make sure I'm, I'm right on target. My tithe is taken out before I ever get my check. My meet the need pledge is taken out before I ever get my check. I don't even bother with the temptation that I might look at it and say, hmm, there's something else I'd like to have. I'll catch up later. It all comes out first. So God knows my heart, and God knows my financial situation. Say, well, you know, I'm going through a tough time financially. Don't you think God knows that? Are you telling God something he doesn't know? He knew this poor widow who gave all she had. In other words, she could not leave worship and go buy a hamburger on the way home from church. She couldn't go to a drive through She didn't have any money left. When she gave all she had, this is what she did. I'm empty. I'm broke. If God doesn't help me, I can't even eat. I would say she was committed. I would say she was surrendered. I like the way Stephen Olford summarizes these verses. The rich gave out of their wealth. That's verse 41. The widow gave out of her want, that's verse 42, and the Lord gave out of his wisdom, that's verse 43 and 44. The, the, the rich gave out of their wealth, the widow out of her want, and the Lord out of his wisdom. You say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Jesus called them over and said, look at this. 
Pay attention. I want you to get the lesson here. I want you to remember this. And so decades later, when Mark is listening to Simon Peter dictate under the authority of the Holy Spirit, the word of God, when Mark is listening to that, Peter says, oh yeah, and don't forget this story. Don't forget this story. On that day, Jesus heard and saw what others missed. You know what he heard? He heard the sound of devotion. He heard the sound of devotion. He heard the sound of sacrifice. All these people were coming in, and the giving would have been up because it was the time of Passover, and everybody's coming into the temple for Passover. And Jesus saw this widow, and he says, this is what wholehearted love for God looks like. You want to know what I think is important on this last day before the Lord's Supper and before Gethsemane and before the cross? This is what I think is important. All we have is from God. All we have is from God. The roof over my head is from God. The car I drive is from God. The clothes I wear are from God. If I don't understand that, then I make myself Lord of my finances. And I'm not the Lord of my finances. He's the Lord of my finances. And he's the source of my sufficiency. And he provides in ways sometimes that I just look and say, Lord, I can't believe you just did that. Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you for blessing me in an unexpected way. And it's not as rarely monetarily. Sometimes it's just he just comes down and answers prayer and shows me himself. Remember last week we talked about we're trustees and not owners? When we come to worship and we think that we don't have to give, but that others need to give so that we can get, we become owners and not trustees. We're all trustees. I'm, trust, I'm a trustee of this pulpit. I'm a trustee of the office of pastor. You're a trustee as a Sunday school teacher, a connect group, sorry, connect group leader, as an usher, as a greeter, as a coach in recreation, whatever. You're a trustee of the lives that have been entrusted to you, but also we are all trustees to model to others what it means to be a disciple. And part of what it means to be a disciple is giving. It's sacrifice. And I would say to you, before Ken comes to talk about the offering, I would say to you that Jesus is seated in this room and he's observing, he's watching. He knows what you can do, he knows what you can't do. And he also knows what you should do. He's here. He's observing. He's watching. I wonder. I wonder if on the way out, he would lean over to one of the disciples in heaven and say, note that person right there. They gave 
out of their poverty. Yes, we see that gift, we see that gift, but, but note, note, who is it that's going to walk out of this room today that God is going to say, they understand worship? Because worship is the worship of the God who gave himself for us so that we could have the free gift of eternal life.